Welcome to the Business of Design podcast. I'm Cheryl Horn, Director of Operations for Business of Design. A lot has changed at Business of Design since this episode originally aired. For the latest information and rates on events and membership at Business of Design, head to businessofdesign.com. Enjoy the show. We all know it's important to finish spaces in order to get those coveted photographs, which will go on our website and entice other potential customers to give us a call and work with us in future. That's critical to us being successful in business. And anybody who's heard me speak knows that the whole business of design um, systems grew out of the fact that too many times I didn't get myself to the finish line with clients in the past. We would get 70% of the way done and then they would run out of time, they would run out of patience, they would run out of money. And I was left you know, cursing myself because I didn't get those beautiful photographs. Almost the last stop in getting those beautiful photographs is getting the right art on the wall. And that is such a tricky subject and such an important element of the work we do. We are applied artists. We go to other artists and artisans and we peruse what they offer. We make selections that we think suit the lifestyle and the budgets of our clients and will enrich their lives. Art's a big part of that. But the reality is we can't know everything. I don't know anything really when it comes to electricity and how that all works. But I know who to call. I have an electrician that I trust, I rely on, who gives me the expert advice I need, and then I can translate that to the customer. This is also true when it comes to art. I don't know everything there is to know about art. I've worked really hard to learn some of the basics. And one of the things that we've done in our office, which has been very successful, I think we've done it two or three times, at the end of the year, instead of going out to a Christmas dinner with the staff, I have hired uh, a big limousine and we've all piled in and we have gone on a gallery tour. So we'll do uh, five to seven stops. It's all pre-planned. Land. Uh, I talk to the owners of the gallery. I tell them about our work. I show them our website. I tell them the kind of clients that we service. And then I ask them to give us a talk about what the gallery includes and who the artists are and some of the romantic backstories. And invariably, this gets us all so excited to go back to our clients and talk about artwork from the beginning. It's one of those things that many designers and decorators um, find difficult to introduce to clients. And particularly, it sort of gets shut down when it comes to budget because clients always feel already before they even get to artwork that they've spent more than they want to spend. So if you don't have that conversation up front, if they're not aware that you're going from step one to step 15 and you're not going to stop at step 10, then you want to be able to have that conversation with them confidently, tell them what to expect, talk about some of the other art pieces that you have placed for them in the past, and be able to provide them with an expert opinion about what they need to purchase for their home. The conversation you'll hear next with Catherine and I reminded me of a book I loved, and it was written by the comedian Steve Martin, An Object of Beauty. 
If you haven't read it and you're curious if this famous comedian and actor can write, I think you'll be surprised. So check it out. We'll put the book on our site as well. It's a story of a college grad who enters the art world and she starts at the bottom like you do, cataloging paintings, I believe at Sotheby's in their basement. And she rises in the rank And she learns the game and it becomes somewhat complicated. And you realize that the business of art, like the business of design, is a bit more complicated than you might assume if you weren't involved. So I I found it to be a lot of fun and you may like it as well. I was really keen to talk to Catherine Ehrenhart, who has Mason Lane Art Advisory Services. She is an expert in artwork. She's very familiar with the challenges of the interior design profession. She speaks our language, and she also knows how to speak directly to clients about some of the decisions they want to be making in terms of beginning or adding to an art collection. She is knowledgeable, straight to the point. I love Love the fact that every single thing she mentions in this podcast is something that I can use in my business starting today. So don't panic if you're driving as you're listening to the podcast or you're on the treadmill as you're listening to the podcast. All the information is going to be in our show notes. Catherine's website, masonlaneart.com, has a great backstory where she talks about the fact that she founded Mason Lane because blank walls aren't fun and buying art is tough. Most of us agree that that's true. I love that she has a background in both fine art and economics, which means she can also talk about the value proposition of pieces of artwork. So getting an expert like Catherine on your team is really critical to completing those jobs in a way that's going to make you so proud of the work you've done and put you in a position to go out and pitch to those big shelter magazines or television shows a finished space that you just really want to promote. Catherine's Instagram feed is masonlane underscore art. She posts, of course, great pictures of art installation, but she also shares uh, information about her personal life. So you get to know her a little bit and it's a really satisfying feed to follow. So I highly recommend that. If you've struggled with questions about why is art important and why should I spend so much money on art and found art is somewhat difficult to sell to clients, you're going to love this podcast. Let's do some housekeeping and then we'll jump right into speaking with Catherine. It's that time again. We're going to check in with Cheryl Horn. What's going on at your end? Uh, We actually have just launched uh, member-directed courses. Um, Maybe you can tell everyone a little bit about that, but our first course with one of our members is on the resource guide uh, to excellence. So maybe you can tell everyone what that is. Okay. So this is exciting for us because as you know, if you're a member of Business of Design, you take any of the hundreds of courses that we have available, you can ask us any question on the forum. And I am typically the person who responds to those questions within 48 hours. So what's happened is some of the courses have been extremely popular. And some of the courses have a lot of follow-up questions on the forum, which is letting us know that I haven't given them all the information they need. So this is a perfect example. Manaz Malik took the Building Your A-Team course, which is all about trades and managing your sub-trades and all that kind of stuff. And in that course, I talk about the contract that I ask each of my trades to sign, the Resource Guide to Excellence. Uh, Manaz had a lot of questions about that contract and how that works. 
So she's actually asking the questions, I'm answering the questions, and I think it, it turned out to be a really insightful conversation, so we've turned it into a course. And we realized that so many of our members are so mature and have so much information to share, and we want to feature you more and more on the site and on the podcast. So if you're excited to talk about a course that you've taken and you have a couple of questions and you want to turn it into a member-directed course, we would love to hear from you. And I think you're going to really love this course with Manaz. Yeah, it's been great. And we do have a few more coming up, but uh, so far that first one is live on the site. Uh, So check it out when you get a chance. Awesome. Okay. And I know uh, we talked about uh, the Palm Street Springs retreat uh, on the podcast last week. I'm not going to go through a whole spiel about that. I think we have a couple of spots available. Uh, This is going to change your business and your life. We guarantee it. Um, And for more information, businessofdesign.com, the Business of Design Elite Retreat. And by the way, I haven't mentioned this before. We will have two possible streams of learning, one for those members who are new and have a lot of questions about the basics and the foundation. Foundations, and then another stream for those members who have been doing it a long time and feel like they're at the next level and want to dig a little bit deeper. So we, we are aware that you might be at different levels, but we're going to provide learnings that accommodate both of those levels and catch the newer people up. We're going to get them up to speed. Thanks, Cheryl, so much. Okay, talk to you soon. High Point is coming up as well, and we do know that um, if you're coming with us, you don't have to worry about a thing. We're going to pamper you and take care of you, and we've got lots of learning planned. There is an opportunity, if you're not signed up for our trip, to hang out with the Business of Design group. Uh, We'll be a group of 30-plus, and that is at the Business of Design uh, Roundtable at The Point, which is on Commerce Avenue next to the Transportation Terminal, and that's from 2 to 3 p.m. on Saturday, April the 14th. So hopefully you'll all come out to that as well. Welcome to the Business of Design podcast with Kimberly Selden. Business of Design is the coaching community for independent designers like you. We know it takes more than hard work and talent to successfully run a professional design firm. There are proven business strategies that can solve your immediate business challenges and transform your life. Don't try to do this alone. Join today and you'll have access to more than 100 video courses plus Kimberly Selden as your mentor and guide. Unlike traditional coaching, which can take years to produce tangible results, BOD is a fast track to immediate results for independent interior designers, decorators, architects, stagers, and landscapers just like you. Monthly membership is only $67.50. Annual members save two months and have access to Kimberly's contracts. What are you waiting for? We all know design matters. At Business of Design, we think designers matter too. Hey, Catherine, how are you today? Hi, Kim. How are you? Very good. It's so nice to talk to you. Great to talk to you too. Well, I was really intrigued by the topic because so often I meet designers who are shocked that we buy art for our clients. Uh, Many of them feel that it's such a personal thing that the client has to do the shopping themselves. And I have a feeling you're going to say there are some other options. Yes. (laughs) I faced clients with many different, and designers with a lot of struggles over how to get the right art, how much it costs, why it costs that much, why it's a good piece for them. And I work directly with clients and designers to kind of navigate that. 
I love it. Okay, so let's start at the beginning because art is one of those subjects, like wine probably, that makes a lot of people feel like they just don't know enough to even dive in. So we great analogy. <laughs> we have two things I love, by the way, wine and art. Um, oh, no. Although I feel like a lot of novices just dive into wine anyways, whereas <laughs> they're a little more hesitant with art. Yeah, Yeah, it's true. There's a, there's a certain reward that comes from diving into wine and perhaps the opposite happens when you think you're going to jump into the art world. You know, you go to a gallery and it's, maybe it's a little bit uninviting or snooty and you feel off put by that. And yet we do want our homes to have beautiful um, artwork that represents our personality. So why don't you just dive into it? First of all, I'd love to know how you got started going down this path. Sure. So I have been in the art world for almost 15 years now, and I've always been interested in art and business. I majored in art history and economics at Williams College. And at the time, I mean, even professors were super confused about that combination. Um, (laughs) And actually, I liked art history better, but I was just much better at econ. So I was kind of a unique breed then. And I went on to get my master's in art business from Sotheby's Institute in London. And I've just always managed to get positions that merged art and business. Out of grad school, I was in the management office at the Museum of Modern Art, Um, I was then in business development for an entrepreneurial hub at Christie's, working with their Singapore, London, and New York offices. Um, And it was kind of an interesting gig because my, we just had financing from Christie's, but not a lot of oversight from those like mother brand, I guess. Mm -hmm. And I got opportunities that I wouldn't have gotten at my age. I mean, I was 28 and I was hopping around to art fairs around the world, overseeing business development in um, international places that I'd never been and making client connections that were crucial to my next steps and really taught me so much about cultivating clients and their taste and um, obviously art. And um, from there, I moved to heading up business development at a boutique art advisory firm and appraisal firm where I learned a ton about value in the art world, which I feel like is one of people's biggest questions. Like, why is this priced at 10000 and that's 100000 and this and that? Um, and ultimately, I just decided to go off on my own and help a more accessible crowd. You know, when I was at these former positions, I was working with super high-end art in the hundreds of thousands of dollars or even millions of dollars. And when I bought my first home and wanted to get art for it, I was kind of lost. So I started this whole um, research project into what emerging artists were out there and what it means to be an emerging artist and what is good and what is bad quality. Um, And found there were a lot of other people like myself with some disposable income that wanted something other than college posters. But didn't really know where to go. And the gallery scene is super intimidating. So I started a business on that premise and it's been, that was three years ago and it's been super successful since then. Like I've found my niche and I feel like other art advisors are really tailoring to the ultra wealthy. Whereas I, I mean, it's still a crowd with some money. It's a crowd that would use an interior designer, but it's people that just want something that makes them happy on the wall and really finishes their space and makes it, makes it personal. 
I love your background that you studied both art and econ, and I so wish every interior design professional had the opportunity to study interior design and business, for example. It would be so helpful. Um, and you're, you're right about the idea that the super elite are able to to go to an auction, for example, and bid on something that has a pedigree everybody is familiar with, right? I mean, it's so well right. known what the big name painters go for. And you can follow a history of all the sales and who owns pieces and what pieces sold for, almost like real estate, you know? But when it comes to that price point that's kind of perfect for uh, a majority of interior designers, it's a very different a negotiation skill, right? It really is. And I think designers often have trouble getting their art, getting their clients to buy art because it's a different sort of conversation from furnishing and the price per square inch is usually very different for art. You know, you can spend 12 grand on a custom couch, but then if it's 12 grand on a piece of art that goes above the couch, people really need to need more motives other than it matches or it fits. (laughs) Right, right. Well, I want to just ask you some basic questions. Like, why is art important anyway for homes? You know, we all fall back on, well, it, you know, shows off your personality, it finishes the room, but really why is art important? I mean, I, I think art is kind of the key to expressing your identity in a home, um, I equate it a lot to fashion. Like I would be personally uncomfortable wearing a suit every day to work because that's just not me. I wear clothes that I feel like reflect my style, which usually involves ripped jeans, but <laughs> and cool sneakers. But like I have my identity, and that is I express that through fashion or through, through the clothes that I wear, as most people do, they want to be comfortable and they want to feel good in what they're wearing every day. And art to me is that for your home, like it helps your home showcase your personality. It helps your home feel more balanced and more complete in the end. And there are so many emotional benefits that you get from having, from being surrounded by an environment that's pleasing and art really helps make that happen. I mean, if you think about a spa, like really nice spas are pleasing and they try and create this Zen sort of atmosphere. It's very different from a kid's play space where all the colors are like high energy and it's, it's fun for the kids to be in there for 45 minutes, you know? Mm -hmm. And Maybe I'm going off on a tangent, but you there are just emotional benefits from living and existing in a place that feels like yours and it feels comfortable and balanced and complete. And I think that art really helps is a key part of that equation, whether it's ten thousand dollars, fifty thousand, or is just a beautifully done gallery wall of your family photos that is well done and professional and isn't crooked. So it doesn't annoy you. You know, Mm -hmm. they're just things that make you happy that you can see every day that truly have benefits. I love that you talked about the emotional benefit of living in a home that has artwork that pleases you on a, on a deeply personal level. And that's a compelling argument, I think for clients, um, Tell me from the interior designer's perspective, I know that art finishes the space. Why is that important? Why is it important to finish the space? Well, for interior designers, 
first of all, I'm sure that they want to be that design solution for their clients. And that doesn't mean half finishing the space and then leaving the clients to go find their own rug or couch. I mean, if a designer I think is interested in really cultivating a good relationship with a client, then there's a motive to finish the space that ultimately helps them generate more revenue because they're increasing their scope and helping the client um, with every element of a space. And then finally they can get the space professionally photographed and use that. I mean, designers portfolios are kind of their best collateral for new business. So there are three main motives in my opinion about that, the revenue, the completion of space and the photography. Yes, that is it. Um, in fact, we were, we worked on a project, I think it was last year. It's a client that we did her third place for her. And now we've since this year, we're working on her fourth place. For some reason, she's got this little pied de terre in the city. She could not commit to any artwork and it's driving it's driving us crazy because we want to photograph the space and you just can't photograph a space that is devoid of artwork. It just, it's never going to feel finished. Right. It's so funny because in the past she's completely trusted us with the artwork and I guess it's just, it's a new waterfront condo. Maybe she just wants to find a different kind of energy for herself in that space. But it is sort of frustrating if you can't sell that art to clients. And you're right, from a practical point of view, it does expand the scope of work. It increases your revenue. But truly, I would say 95% of us don't sell art because of that. We sell art because it finishes the space and we want clients to have a finished home. Totally. And how irritating would it be for a designer if the clients went off and got their own art and it kind of totally contradict, like it didn't look good and it contradicted what the designer's vision was. Obviously it's the client's space in the end and it needs to be something that they're happy with. But I think the designer is there to guide the vision and help execute that vision so that it all looks coherent. So um, the designer certainly has motives to, to be part of that art process to make sure that the finished product is true to what um, the client wanted and what the designer's uh, educated eye is okay with. Right. I have found in the past that some clients are really easy to sell artwork to, and I'll tell you kind of how we do it, but you would be a great resource for us. Um, Some of them are really easy to sell artwork to, and then others find it a real struggle. Um, And uh, my pet theory is that in the past, they may have purchased something and spent however much money on it and then felt it was the wrong thing or they weren't happy with it. And somehow that makes them feel that they don't know how to buy art and they become afraid to buy art. There must be other reasons that it's hard to sell artwork to clients. Like what what do you encounter? Yeah. I mean, actually last night I was writing a blog post. I have a column, a bi-monthly column with editor at large um, that's for designers. And it's basically outlining the mistakes that designers make when trying to sell art to their clients. And last night (laughs) I was up late doing this for this week's column. And it was about how exactly what you just said, Kim, that clients seem to be hesitant about buying art for whatever reason, whether they think they failed at it in the past. Um, I think that the two 
things that they need in order to buy art is one, to feel emotionally connected to it on some level and two, to be able to rationalize the price. And that's not to say they completely understand the art market and they're able to price their own art, but they need to feel like the price is a wise spend. And so I have some strategies to get clients on board with those two, um, with those two elements. Should I? Yes. Oh yes. I have to know this. Okay. So one, when you want clients to, when you're trying to help clients feel emotionally connected to art, um, I always encourage designers to, and my own clients to seek out, instead of seeking out a like or dislike reaction, do you like this art? Do you not like this art? I ask clients or encourage designers to ask their clients whether the piece interests them or not because it kind of prompts a deeper thought process than just like or dislike. And if you encourage someone to consider whether it interests them, you can consider, well, why does it interest you? Do you, are those colors pleasing to you? Are those colors strange together? Is the subject matter disturbing? Does it remind you of something? Do you not understand it? Are you intrigued? It kind of prompts you to analyze the aesthetics of the piece in a much more in-depth way. I love that. So that. It also is not as cut and dried as do you like it or do you don't like it? And it gives, right. it, to me, it feels like that would empower them a little bit to say, well, it interests me, but, or it interests me. And um, I love that. That's a great one. Yeah. And I think that it starts to help clients feel connected to it because they're relating the piece to themselves. And like you said, yes, they totally feel a little bit empowered in that way. Um, and I think the, the thought process also leads to kind of a longer relationship with the piece because versus like, or dislike, that's kind of a hard stop there. It, it, it's a question that prompts them to keep thinking about it, um, in new ways. And then after that's kind of step one is looking at the aesthetics of an artwork, which is the most obvious way to kind of assess a piece. Um, and then step two is to consider the materials that it's made out of. Sometimes that's super obvious, like oil paint on canvas. And other times it's not, it can be something called a photogram, which is made with light sensitive paper and exposed to light in different ways. And, um, or other sort of found materials collaged onto a piece and sanded down. So, after you start thinking about how the pieces, what materials are used, then you think back to that question, does it interest me? Did you know that these materials could be used in this way? Did, how did the artist start to think about to use them that way? How did he or she actually execute that? And it helps you build an appreciation then for the process and the materials and the art, which lets you somewhat or start to develop an idea about price. You know, if it's just a line on a canvas, well, is that really different? Would I pay 10,000? No, I don't really have that sort of appreciation for it. But if it's this crazy process that you'd never heard of, that seems so creative that this artist came up with it. And how did he or she do that? You start to buy into the fact that, wow, this takes time and energy. And, and yes, it is worth my money to spend it there. And I do feel connected to it. 
When I'm working with a client, one thing I notice when I do a presentation of artwork, I do need to know some information about the pieces. It's not enough to just put it up on the wall and say, that's nice, right? I mean, if I'm going to hire Mason Lane to do my art advisory, then I assume you're going to take on that role and you're going to dialogue with the client and with me as the designer and say, here's what you need to know about this artist. This is why I think this piece merits your attention. Um, But if I don't have you on my team, then I'm going to have to know a little bit about the pieces I'm presenting, right? Because the client wants to know that you're not just going, oh, I picked it because it's nice. Totally. Nice is like the, it's not going to cut it. Like clients will not 99 times out of a hundred, they're not going to buy because it's nice or it fits, you know, they just want to feel more connected to it and they want to understand a little bit more about where their money's going. So when every single time that we present art to clients, we are presenting an image as well as, and it's, it sounds stupid, but it should definitely be a high res image. (laughs) Um, Like that sounds pretty basic, but some people don't, they hear a thumbnail and that's not going to cut it. Um, Show a high res image and also include the artist name, the title, the materials used, the dimensions, um, the year it was made, kind of all the basics about that piece. And then a paragraph or bullet points on why, like trying to build a story around the piece. How was it made? Why is it interesting for the space? What's a fun fact about the artist? Um, how would this work with the space and what value would it add there? Is the space neutral and you're adding some color? that would really add some personality? Does it touch on a client's um, background in traveling to different countries? And is it reminiscent of a place that the client goes? You know, try and build a story around it. And that's what I do for my clients. And we have a trade program where we work with designers who need help sourcing art for their clients. And we feed all of that information to designers so that they are well positioned to then pitch it to their clients and don't need to do that research themselves. I love it. Okay. Can we talk about the dreaded matching the artwork to the sofa situation? Yes, we can. (laughs) You go, girl. (laughs) Let me think about how to start this. So yes, you want art to work well with your design, right? But when it's super matchy-matchy, like what you see often in magazines, Note that that's a magazine or an Instagram perfect picture, and it's highly staged. Many times that art actually doesn't even exist in the space, and it's either Photoshopped in or it's totally not an artwork that exists in real life, and it was made on Photoshop and is just slapped on the wall. So it's staged to look magazine ready. It's not staged to be a home. It's the same reason why in these um, staged pictures of interiors you never see photo family photos or little kids toys or any sort of personal items um and so matching the art to the couch is kind of great for staging but when you're living and breathing in a home you're probably going to be more interested by something that stands out a little bit eventually I call that invisible art. Eventually your eyes are just going to glaze over it. It's a placeholder. And yes, it is balancing the space and that it's over the couch, but your eyes are going to glaze over it and it's not going to really bring you joy. And I'm a fan of getting things in your home that bring you joy, whether it's a picture, like a photograph that reminds you of something or um, a quality piece of art. And I have this philosophy that the more color 
in a space, the more energy that space has. And the less color, the less energy. And there's a balance if you think of a sliding scale. Like, I've never been in one, but I imagine an insane asylum is all white. <laughs> and that's yeah, in my experience, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. No, totally. Like, it's not... It's all very basic and it's not livable, but likewise, a kid space that I referenced earlier with all these bright primary colors, like that's not livable either. And it's super high energy because that's the point of a kid's play space. You kind of want your home to fall somewhere in between and your master bedroom is probably going to be a little bit more low energy on that scale and more Zen and peaceful, whereas your living room might liven that up. So you want to think about that when you're considering artwork for the space, because because that artwork can bring in more color or it can match the colors that are already there and kind of create this more low toned, low energy space. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm a fan of introducing, of working with a few of the color palette that you, a little bit of the color palette that you have already, and then introducing some new color to kind of make it personalized and make it interesting and make it be a piece of art that you notice on the wall, but that still works coherently with the design. Mixing the style of artwork or the media of artwork is also a little bit challenging for clients, I find. Do you want to do a contemporary black and white photo and put it beside an oil painting that looks a little bit more traditional? And invariably, the client will say, well, I don't I don't know if those go together. So what's your response when a client says something like that? Because I, I actually really love it when things don't quote unquote go together, when artwork, I, I want the sofa and the chairs to go together. But the artwork is something entirely different. I totally agree. And my response is that an interesting dynamic art collection is one with diversity and cohesion. So just like clothes and just like interiors, you're not going to wear all one color or one texture, either in, on your, in your clothes or in your space. Even if you're doing something with all neutrals, there's going to be textural differentiations and... A, a difference in neutral tones, you know, you'll have white and more cream and maybe a blush color. It's the same with art that those differences between media and subject matter and scale and framing are what make for an interesting dynamic collection. Um, I have a corporate client and they had an art collection before I went in and I they wanted to revamp it. And when I interviewed a few of the employees and said, what do you think of your current art collection? Literally five out of five people said, what art collection? They just didn't see it because it was all by one artist. It was all prints and it all matched perfectly. Mm. And they just didn't even see it. Um, whereas now every space has its own unique character and it, it's kind of on brand. It works together. There are similar elements that play off of each other just like in a well-designed space, but they're different. And so your eyes see it and appreciate it. And it's this visual refresh that you have that, again, goes back to having um, emotional benefits in a space. Right. It kind of reminds me of going into a restoration hardware store. They're beautiful, but it's all the same. It's a one note from the minute you enter the store to the to you exit the store. It's it's calm and it's peaceful and it's it's one note. And I think totally. most people 
think they want to live like that, but they actually don't want to live like that. And it can be really exciting to finally embrace uh, a, the beginning of a collection of artwork. Um, can you tell me, um, give me the shutdown line for clients when they go out and source a, a painting or a print that you don't like. So you're, you're working on the project. The client goes out and goes shopping with a girlfriend. They have two glasses of sangria. She comes back with a print she found at TJ Maxx, and she wants to know if it'll go over the sofa. You can't, as a designer, say, no, it's ugly. So what's your go-to line for, no, you should not buy that? I pride myself on being totally honest with clients and and by helping them understand what the what they buy. So in the end, I want the client to be happy and I want them to understand what they put their money into. So if they're putting $10 into a TJ Maxx print, um, I'm probably going to say it looks like you spent $10 and went to TJ Maxx. Is that what you want? <laughs> okay, good one. <laughs> um, That's so obvious. Or, Thank you. That's great. Or do you, if you love that drawing of a dog from TJ Maxx, um, if that is, if that literally brings you joy and it reminds you of when you got drunk with your girlfriend and went shopping, let's figure out a way to make it look great. And we can look at reframing. Maybe we can hang it in a little nook, like a reading nook against a navy blue wall. I feel like little sort of cheaper pieces look better on a dark colored wall for whatever reason. Um, but the framing and the styling is so important. And a lot of cheap prints are, A, they're framed terribly, but B, the, um, the glass, which is part of the whole framing thing, but the glass is so cheap that it has such a reflection. You can't actually, you can barely see the piece. So if you get, you can get a cheap print and reframe it, um, to make it look much better. And so that's a good solution too, for the client that insists on having this. But also, I mean, if they bought, if they thought they got a good deal on, let's say a poster of a Picasso and they're like, it only costs $500, you know, I'll say, well, do you want to spend $500 on a poster that literally that says like the museum of modern art under it, or do you, that has been reproduced 15,000 times, or do you want something more unique for the space that you live in every, every day? And ultimately it's the client's choice, but I just try and outline what it, I I try and make sure that they know what they're buying and to make sure they spend wisely. And if they want to spend $500 on an unlimited edition poster, that's their choice, but I'll do my very best to let them know that and to let them, to walk them through how we can make it look its best. I love it. Okay. So I can tell you how we typically will sell art to clients and that is during step 10, we will place everything. So all the furniture is going in, all the installations happening, and we will actually borrow art from different galleries around town, which means everything is kind of local, which is which limits you. There's no question about it, kind of limits you. But we'll borrow pieces and we'll kind of lean them where we want to hang them. Or for example, if it's a piece of art that's going over the sofa, we'll actually hang it because we know something has to go there. So no matter yeah. what, something has to go there. So we'll hang it. So that 
conversation we have with the clients ahead of time, letting them know we're going to borrow art. This is the budget we're kind of thinking of in terms of artwork. Anything you like, you can keep. Anything you don't like, we'll send back. But I have found that that is the best way for clients to be able to say, yes, uh, that piece is really exciting and interesting to me. I love it here in the living room. And um, that's been very effective for us. How would that process change, Catherine, if we were going to hire you? What would your methodology be? So the process that I go through with clients is, one, I meet with them or speak with them on the phone to get a sense of their space, their vision for the space, what they like about it, what they don't like about it, what words they would use to describe their ideal space, kind of a similar onboarding that I would imagine an interior designer does. Um, And then I do research and come back to them with a few feasible options. And uh, I try my very best to meet with them in person, if at all possible, during that presentation. So for all my New York clients, I'm meeting with them in person. If it's a client outside of New York, I will email them the presentation as I'm dialing their phone number and we talk about it together because I don't want clients to just go through and say and have that like, dislike um, reaction. That's so, it's so natural to have that, but it's not really that productive when you're trying to source. So I bring, so when I meet with clients in person, I bring my iPad and I have all the high res images, the details about the artwork, and then the paragraph or bullet points on why it's, interesting and why I feel the client would connect to it or why it's priced at whatever it's priced at. And we walk through it. And importantly, this is about three to five artworks per space. It's not a lot. And when you, there's a psychology around it because when you present too many options, people can't make a choice. Um, and that exists anywhere in the world. It's like, if you have seamless web on your phone, I find seamless web the most annoying thing ever because there are, 8,000 options that I can order for any given meal. Like I would just rather have four and pick out what I want for dinner. And I'm much more able to make a decision. So I try and give clients an edited list of feasible works that are in their budget, work with their space and taste and that are available. Um, And when I walk them through why in person they start to really understand and feel connected to the pieces. Right. The next step is we either go see the pieces that they like. They're always pieces that they are interested in from that presentation. Um, and I, I can either go out and source more um, for another look, or we can go to galleries or artist studios or auctions to go see the pieces of interest. Um, galleries are so hard because I mean I love them (laughs) they make my business what it is but it's really hard for clients to envision what a piece looks like when seeing it in the gallery versus their home like Mm -hmm. you said yeah um so I'll kind of we'll go to a viewing and I'll walk them through what how this would translate to their home and I have great relationships with galleries so many times if a client wants I can get that piece into their home if they're really interested um so they can see it on approval. Um, and sometimes we can get several pieces in there. Sometimes it's just the one that the client really likes and she, he or she needs to see it in the space just to confirm. But, uh, the process of kind of educating them from the iPad, which I feel iPad is more, is better than a 
non-touchscreen computer because you can actually zoom in on texture and kind of walk them through what the scale looks like. I always bring blue painter's tape and a measuring tape to those presentations so we can look at what that proportionally looks like on a wall. Mm -hmm. Um, Great idea. Yeah. And then going to see it. And there are clients that come to me and say, I just want to go around to galleries with you. I just want to hop around. And I'm happy to do that, but it ends up not being nearly as productive because galleries show one tenth of, of what they have on their walls at any given time because they have rotating shows and they've got a ton of stuff in storage. And the chance that you're going to walk into a gallery and see that piece that matches a client's space, taste, and budget is so low that to me it's beneficial and to the clients for their time to filter that down and focus on only the, the options that work rather than getting a client excited about a piece that's 10 times over budget or like too large or just wrong for the space. And so with this method, it's really more time efficient and cost effective for clients. I completely understand that. And what I'm hearing you say and what I think everybody might take away is that um, if you live in in New York City, that's great. You can phone Catherine and she can be your person on the job site. But wherever you live, find that person who's an expert who can speak to your clients until you know how to speak to your clients, right? I mean, get that gallery owner to come in and have a conversation with the clients. And if you are going to take them to the galleries, it seems to me you might want to have have a few pieces pre-pulled and have the gallery owner aware of what your mission is so they can speak exactly. directly. Okay. Then enlist help, um, whether it's a gallery owner or an artist. Um, artist studio visits can be wonderful. It's really an exceptional experience to go into an artist studio, see how they work, see um, why they create what they do. But a ton of artists also aren't articulate about their work, and that could confuse a client too. So just know what you're walking into and prepare the client accordingly to make sure that you're making it an experience. And that also adds to the emotional connection that I referred to earlier that clients feel um, when they want to buy art. And we work with clients near and far, and when it's when the clients are outside of New York, we're still kind of helping them make that emotional connection, talk to them about the texture of the piece and what was, what is different in the gallery that would look different in their space. You know, a color might read differently in different lighting. Um, but it's important to bring in someone that can help you with that rather than wasting your time and the client's time trying to find a pretty piece and hope the client falls in love. Right, because once you miss that opportunity, once the client has a feeling that maybe you don't have the expertise to help them, that door can close pretty quickly, and then you've missed your opportunity to photograph that finished space, which really, as you said, is you know just shooting yourself in the foot. So get the totally. expert help you need, and that comes to someone who can help you select art, comes to... Um, somebody who can help you select framing and glass and that kind of stuff. And then it, of course, it also applies to who's going to hang the art because that's, that's its own kind of skill as well. Exactly. A hundred percent. Wow. This is amazing. I would, I'm going to come to New York and I'm, we're going to just go for a drive and go to some galleries. And I just, I think it would be so fun to work with someone like you, Catherine. Thank you so much for being generous with your time and your expertise. Anytime you come to New York, tell me, I'll take you around a gallery. There are a ton of art fairs in the spring and I'm taking designers and clients around to those. So just tell me. Ooh, (laughs) I'm in. 
Ivan, we love to end every podcast with design intervention. So this is your opportunity to share a business tip, a resource, something that you think is invaluable to a business owner um, and, and ideally something that's actionable immediately. And it does not have to be... Ah, sorry. That's okay. Don't worry. <laughs> my husband is FaceTiming me. Oh, honey. No, he's very cute. I, I see your husband on the uh, on your website. He's very oh cute. God, and the two little me. ones. Adorable. <laughs> okay. So design intervention, and then you've got to go and you've got to talk to your husband. <laughs> no, it's fine. I don't need to talk to him. But okay, let me think about design intervention. So I would say my best advice to interior designers is when sourcing art for clients, focus on feasible works that are interesting to the client. Do your research and pitch something that will help build a story around that piece of art so that clients feel connected to it. Because the way that clients get joy out of their home is filling it with objects that are joyful and that they have a connection to. So don't just look for something pretty and decorative. Do a little do a little reconnaissance first. Speak to them about what they're what they want to get out of a, an art collection, however humble that art collection is. Exactly. You don't need to spend a ton. You just need to to get pieces that are hung properly. Well, now I'm going off on a tangent. Sorry. You don't need to spend a ton. You just need to get pieces that interest a client that work well with the space and that really complete it and make the place personalized. Yeah. And sometimes clients will be, they'll have a lot of pride in terms of a piece that they've selected when you give them the backstory, you know, when friends come over and they can say, oh, we went to this amazing gallery and we met this artist and this is the mixed media. And she came up with this idea when she was on a trip you know, in Chile and, uh, we fell in love with it because of blah, blah, blah. Like give, give them the opportunity to to be excited and to be the expert about that piece. Exactly. And can I add one thing about pieces that clients get on their honeymoon and love and that doesn't really work? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All the time is that there's so much benefit to, um, curating a space. So if there are pieces that don't, that you wouldn't necessarily pick out for a client or recommend, but the client loves consider reframing, consider the installation, because that is so important. The hanging height, the way it's hung, there are, there are ways to hang pieces on D what are called D rings versus wires so that they stay flat and they don't get crooked and they stay parallel to the wall as opposed to kind of falling off the wall at a weird angle. Um, and as I mentioned before, framing and getting the right glass, museum glass is the best type of glass. Those little details can make something look so much better. So if there are existing pieces that a client has and they, either the client realizes that they're underwhelming or the designer doesn't see how they're going to work with the space, really consider the reframing and the recurating and getting a professional art installer in there because that can make a huge difference. Yeah, and I like that. We want to be respectful of the, the things that people own already that have some sentimental value. And typically in a home, there's lots of different places you can hang it and there's lots of different options for pairing it with something that makes it a bit more interesting than it is on its own. So 
Awesome. Thank you so much. This was really helpful. Uh, I'm excited about uh, my next project and the next art installation we do now. Yay. I hope so. And feel free to reach out with any questions at all. Thank you so, so much. Thank you, Kimberly. It was a pleasure. Thank you for being part of the Business of Design community. If you love what we do, please show your support by subscribing to the podcast and rating our efforts. Remember, you can be a part of the podcast by sharing your comments, ideas, and questions via the BOD hotline at 416-780-9187, extension 107, or by sending an MP3 file to info at businessofdesign.com. And when you're ready to transform your business and your life, sign up for a monthly or annual membership. Together, we will achieve extraordinary results. Start today. Start today.